أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسوله سيدنا محمد سيدنا وسندنا وحبيبنا وشفيعنا ومولانا صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وأصحابه وأزواجه وذرياته وأهل بيته ومن تبعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين وبعد الحمد لله we've reached this Mubarak 17th uh, night of Ramadan Alhamdulillah, mashallah. Now people are coming up onto the surahs that they that they know and they may have memorized. Uh, I guess, mashallah, some of you are hafal, mashallah. So that was like that from day one. But for the masakin like myself, um, you know, we're starting to get to places that we uh, we memorize some tracts and uh, like this. It's a reminder from Allah Subhanahu wa Taala that all blessings in this world. Um, that are uh, that are uh, of this world and related to time they have a beginning and an end and uh, that we need to use them and we need to get what we need out of them the purpose of this Ramadan is like the purpose of your life and my life and it's the purpose of our Iman which is that we have a limited amount of time here uh, and we need to do something whatever it is we need to do something uh, because of which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say that this is my my slave and I love him this is my slave woman and I love her and uh, uh, then it's time to go then there's no real point hanging out here anymore the dunya is kind of like the Denver airport uh, a place to change planes on your way from one side to the other and definitely not a place to stay longer than you need to so uh, you know right now the second flight is about to board uh, our time at the uh, at the airport is coming to an end um, so whatever we need to do, let's let's get it done, because the person, the Rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam, said that the one who reached Ramadan and uh, still wasn't forgiven by Allah Taala, that that person has gone very far away, and that's what uh, Shaitan. The word Shaitan is a sifa mushabbaha, and you know. It means it means uh, the one that's gone far away, yani far from the mercy of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, the one who's ba'id from the mercy of Allah Taala, which is the same meaning of la'na of curse. The meaning of curse is to be outside of the pale or far far away from the da'ira, the circle of Allah's mercy, and that's not what we want to be. So, if you have some money in the bank, you want to give charity, go ahead and give it now. If you have, uh, you know, uh, the ability to read the Quran. Uh, and you want to read it, go ahead and read it now. And if you have the ability to fast, fast now. Because uh, so many people now are complaining about their sicknesses and illnesses. And they're not able, able to fast anymore. Uh, and uh, they took it for granted and now it's gone. And uh, whatever it is you want to do, whatever you're able to do, volunteer, uh, fix something, help somebody, you know, save a stray dog, whatever it is. Whatever it is you want to do for the sake of Allah, go ahead and do it. And if all you can do is come to Allah Ta'ala with your brokenness and your inability to do anything right then now is the time to ask Allah Ta'ala for his fadl because the most beloved act in his court is for a person to be broken in front of him And for a person who's not even able to do that, a person who can't even do that right, 
They make dua like a person who is on a ship that's sinking. And nobody puts a petition in that court while he has breath inside of his lungs or her lungs. And that petition is turned away unfulfilled. But you have to go ahead and do it. And Allah Ta'ala doesn't accept. He doesn't require you to do something huge or dramatic or traumatic. But He does require that whatever is done for His sake is done with sincerity, ikhlas, with purity for His sake and not for anyone else uh, with Him. Because Allah Ta'ala is la sharika lahu. He has no partner in anything including the deeds that He accepts. So if you have anything left in the gas tank, now's the time. Uh, go ahead and uh, go ahead and spend it. There's no no need to wait for tomorrow because tomorrow all of these blessings will pass, and those people who were dust yesterday will become dust again tomorrow. And uh, uh, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala might give a, a chance to somebody else, but our chance is going to be over. So we continue reading from Mawlana uh, uh, Sayyid Abul Hasan Ali Al Nadwi, Rahimahullah Taala's description of the Muslim world on the eve of the Mongol conquest and uh, through the Mongol desolation of the heartlands of Islam. So we read from the subheading, The Folly of the Kharazm Shah. The immediate cause which paved the way for this calamity was that Genghis Khan sent a message to the Kharazm Shah that since each of them uh, headed a vast empire, it would be in their best interest to encourage trade between their subjects. He wanted that the traders should be allowed to move freely between the two realms, purchasing and selling their goods without any undue restriction. The Khurazm Shah agreed to the proposal of Cengiz Khan, and tradesmen began to ply freely between the two kingdoms. The interchange of traders, however, was soon followed by an act of folly, uh, which has been graphically described by uh, Harold Lamb, whose accounts agree with those left by Muslim historians. He says, but the Mongols' experiment with trade came to an abrupt end. A caravan of several hundred merchants from Karakorum. Uh, Karakorum is, uh, uh, is the, uh, the capital, uh, if you can say, uh, of the Mongol Empire. The Mongol Empire was a very interesting setup. It was very different than most other empires. Um, it was divided through tribal um, to tribal units of administration uh, uh, and chieftains uh, connected to other chieftains in a, in a kind of more tribal hierarchy that doesn't resemble a, a, a state like that of the Romans or, or the Persians. Uh, but Karakorum was the, the capital, not in the sense that all uh, orders went through it or that there was direct administration from it. But uh, Karakorum was basically the place where the Grand Kurultai would happen, which is uh, on the death of a, an emperor or on some major uh, issue that required mutual consultation between uh, all of the, the top-level chieftains, that, that's where the Qurultai would be held. Karakorum, uh, uh, my understanding, Qara uh, in, in Turkish, to this or Turkic language, to this day means black, and Qurum means sand. Um, and it's a, name, it's a name for a lot of different stuff. There's a lot of stuff in Pakistan named Karakorum as well. Uh, um, and it's all the legacy of the Mongols. So the caravan of several hundred merchants from Karakorum was seized by one Inaljuk, which is itself also a Turkic name, uh, 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 the governor of Utrar, a frontier citadel belonging to the, to the Shah. Inaljuk reported to his master that spies were amongst the merchants, which may have very well been the case. Muhammad Shah, without considering the matter over much, uh, sent to his governor an order to slay the merchants, and all of them accordingly were put to death. This in due time was reported to Chinggis Khan who dispatched envoys at once to the Shah to protest. And Muhammad saw fit to slay the chief uh, of the envoys and burn off the beards of the others. Good Lord. 
When the survivors of his embassy returned to Genghis Khan, the master uh, of the Gobi, Gobi is not Gobi like Desi Gobi, which is cauliflower, but the, the desert of Mongolia. When uh, they, uh, his embassy returned to Chinggis Khan, the master of the Gobi uh, uh, went apart to a mountain to meditate on the matter. The slaying of a Mongol envoy could not go unpunished. Tradition required revenge for the wrong inflicted. There cannot be two sons in the heaven, uh, uh, the Khan said, or two Khaqans on the earth, uh, two Khaqans upon the earth, two great grand Khans in the earth. Uh, and so he received his, uh, you know, he received his answer uh, in, uh, in that and uh, he decided that uh, he needed to impose order on the earth uh, where none was there before. The Tartaric invasion. Thus the storm burst in 616 uh, uh, Hijri. Bukhara was first raised to the ground and its inhabitants were put to the sword. Uh, Samarkand was reduced to ashes and its entire population passed under the sword. Other important uh, populous cities like Rai, Hamadan, Zanjan, uh, Qazwin, Maru, Nishapur all met the same fate. And uh, if you knew, by the way, all of these cities, you know, what it means for them to be uh, destroyed, it would make you cry. Bukhara, amongst uh, other things, amongst the other things, it was the city of obviously Bukhari, rahimahullah ta'ala, a great number of great fuqaha and usuliyin. Uh, 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 Samarkand, also a great uh, city of fuqaha, uh, usuliyin, muhaddithun, ray, uh, uh, Fakhruddin al-Razi, uh, uh, the name is very well known, Hamadan, Badiyu uh, Zaman Hamadani. Qazwin is the city of Ibn Majah. Uh, amongst others, Maru was the city uh, uh, in which the ribat, the two ribats, I should say, of uh, of Abdullah bin Mubarak, uh, rahimahullah tabarak wa taala, Nishapur, which was the city of uh, Imam Muslim, uh, and uh, the city of Fariduddin Atar. These were bastions of civilization. These were cities that that held madaris and arts and crafts and uh, uh, trades and places of worship and places of seats of education and learning that uh, once they were destroyed, the Muslims were never able to recreate them again. Moana continues, he says, the forces of uh, Khurazm Shah, the most powerful Muslim sovereign in his day, were simply swept away by the tempest of Mongol arms. The Khurazm Shah was himself hunted from place to place by the Tartars with ruthless per, uh, uh, per, pertinacity. Muhammad Khurazm Shah ultimately took refuge in an unknown island in the Caspian Sea where he died brokenhearted, alone and abandoned. Khurazm Shah had already dismembered the independent Islamic kingdoms of Iran and Turkestan, therefore none had remained in the east to check the onslaught of the Mongols after his defeat. This is what happens sometimes we spend so much time um, both as individuals and as small organizations and also as Muslim states uh, so much time beating up our internal enemies that we basically put everything clamp it into a vice grip and sap the life out of it so that when an external enemy comes the capacity to be able to resist is completely gone uh, and uh, that's sadly what's the, what the case is in much of the Muslim world and almost all of the Arab world he said that uh, he said that, uh, that that none of none had remained in the east to check the onslaught of the Mongols after his defeat. The Muslims were so seized with the terror of the Mongols that often a lonely Tatar attacked a hundred of them, but none of them had the heart to defend himself. Every one of them was killed by the Tatar without being opposed by a single Muslim. 
Once a Mongol woman dressed as a man plundered a house and killed all of its inmates excepting one captive. It was only after this that the captive somehow came to know that the marauder was a woman and then he could muster the courage to kill her. It often happened that a Mongol caught a hold of a Muslim and asked him to wait until he brought a saber to slaughter him and this poor man did not have the courage to run away in, absence, uh, in the absence of the Mongol. This, by the way, is uh, very, very true. Uh, a story like this is reported by Ibn al-Athir, the great uh, uh, historian, world historian, and great muhaddith, uh, who also wrote a world history like Ibn Khaldun and, and like uh, uh, Tabari and like uh, Ibn Kathir. Uh, uh, Ibn al-Athir, who actually witnessed the destruction of, uh, the destruction of uh, Baghdad, uh, himself was so depressed that uh, he didn't want to write about it and it took him quite some time to gain the courage even to write about what he saw and essentially that was the case that there were so many civilians in Baghdad that that were killed by the Mongols it's such a small army and so many people to kill that basically each Mongol was handed like 50 people and killed them so they would just stand in a line and go one after the other and kill them it never occurred to any of them that we can uh, fight and overwhelm uh, this Mongol 50 of us even if we're unarmed and um, Basically, he says that he was just waiting in line to get killed, and the guy next to him in line, they looked at each other, and they're like, well, if we run away, what do you think would happen? And so, well, you never know. Uh, we could try. And so they just ran away, and obviously, one man can't chase after two people. It's like 48 other people to kill. Um, but this is the, the state of brokenness that, that overwhelmed the Muslim world. Uh, and uh, sadly, uh, this type of uh, mental and uh, uh, you know, emotional defeat uh, has taken and seized grip of many of the people in the Muslim world uh, at this time as well, if, if, if not worse. Uh, and it has seized hold of uh, many of our leaders as well, just like uh, the Khwarazm Shah died uh, 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 hiding in an island in, uh, 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 in the Caspian Sea. Many of them are complete cowards uh, in their emotionally uh, gutted of any courage because of this defeat that's inside, which is truly a, a punishment and a curse of Allah Ta'ala. May Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala keep the honor of the inner sanctum of the heart of every believer that we should never be broken like that ever. The scourge of God was the greatest cal of calamities before which almost the entire Muslim world was uh, swept away uh, by a torrent. It left Muslims astounded and terror-stricken. The Mongols came to be regarded as so invincible that an Arabic proverb gained currency, which meant that if anyone tells him that the uh, Tatars have suffered a defeat, don't believe him. Death and destruction was a foregone conclusion for all the lands uh, through which the Tatar hordes passed. Palaces, mosques, mausoleums were all leveled to the ground and trampled into dust. Historians are normally prone uh, to be objective in their assessment of the past uh, and its events, but even such a cool and temperate historian as Ibn al-Athir could not help uh, shedding his tear over the havoc and ruin caused by the savage ardor uh, uh, of the Mongols for rape and slaughter. Speaking of these uh, events in a harrowing strain, uh, Ibn al-Athir says, uh, these events are so frightful and heartrending that for several years I was in a fix whether I should narrate these happenings, to, or, happenings or not. I have, however, penned these facts most reluctantly. In truth and reality, it is not easy to recount the tale of carnage and atrocities perpetrated on the Muslims, nor can one bear with equanimity the abasement to which they were subjected. I only wish that my mother had not given birth to me. Oh, would that I had died before I had to relate this tale of woe. Some people uh, from my friends had insisted that I should record these events, but I was still irresolute. Later it dawned on me 
that it was of no profit to forego the task. The invasion of the Tatars was one of the greatest calamities and the most uh, terrible visitations of which there is no parallel in the annals of the world. This calamity fell on all nations, but on the Muslims more than any of them else, which is true. Uh, the, the Mongols definitely fought and uh, killed others, but nobody took the brunt of their destruction like the Muslims did. Uh, the calamity fell on all nations, but on the Muslims more than all. If one were to claim that the, uh, that the world, since God created it to present times, was never so afflicted, one would speak truthfully, for history records no other event which approaches it, and perhaps the world may not see its like again except the calamity of Gog and Magog uh, uh, till the uh, dawn of uh, doomsday. The Tatars put to the sword all men, women, and children, cut open the bellies of pregnant women, and trampled babies to death. Verily unto God do we belong, and to him shall we return. There is no power nor might but from Allah, most high, most great. This was an affliction which overwhelmed the entire world like a severe torrent, and it suddenly swept over all of the lands. So, end quote. The author of Mirsadul Abad, uh, who belonged to Hamavan and was born in Ray. Uh, Ray is uh, basically uh, um, the ancient city, uh, one of its uh, suburbs is Tehran, the capital of uh, the modern state of Iran. Um, uh, Tehran is a suburb of Raid that, that basically gets built up and takes it over uh, later on after its destruction. This is the author of Mirsadul Abad, uh, who belongs to uh, who belonged to Hamadan, and was born in Ray, and was thus an eyewitness to the Mongol invasion. Has left the following harrowing account. In the year 617 after Hijra, uh, uh, which shall ever remain conspicuous in the annals of the world, the hordes of the heathen Tartars uh, gained ascendancy over the Muslims. The way they ravaged the countries, killed people and plundered and burnt the cities has a parallel neither in the days of Jahiliya nor thereafter. It is enough to mention that in Ray, where I was born and lived, in Turkestan, and in the lands extending from Rum to Syria, more than 700,000 persons were either put to the sword or made captives. Uh, the calamity befalling Islam and its adherents is beyond description, and the Holocaust is rather too well known to require any detailed enumeration. God forbid none of the monarchs and sovereigns of Islam felt the urge to defend the honor of Islam, nor were they alive uh, to their duty of coming to the rescue of their subjects, although they were uh, like a shepherd unto their own people and that they would have to render uh, an account in regards to their safety on the Day of Judgment. They were like a shepherd unto the people, meaning they were responsible to take care of their flock, and they will have to render account in regard to their safety on the Day of Judgment. It was their duty to have strained every nerve and uh, to strengthen Islam and defend the faith as God had ordered, go forth light-armed and heavy-armed, and strive with your wealth and your lives in the way of Allah. They should have sacrificed everything they had, their lives, riches, dominions for the honor of Islam. This would have given heart to others and fired a frenzy of enthusiasm amongst the Muslims which would have contained and turned back the onslaught of the heathens. But now nothing remains except for to seek refuge uh, uh, in Allah. Whatever of Islam is still visible is exposed to the danger of being completely effaced and leaving no trace uh, of it whatsoever. Allah Ta'ala protect us. Uh, that was a very real danger that Islam would be completely destroyed from the world. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala checked their advance, otherwise God knows if they had reached the Haram and Sharifain what they would have done. 
and uh, Allah Ta'ala forgive us and protect us who knows who's saying these things these very words about the rulers and the people uh, of privilege of which we should include ourselves if we're listening to this uh, late night majlis on SoundCloud uh, that what the people our poor brothers and sisters in internment camps uh, in uh, eastern Turkestan uh, or in other uh, you know in other difficulties and places of desolation uh, like Sham and other places what they're saying about us now Allah Ta'ala protect us and give himmat to those people who uh, have hal and aqad in their hand that they should be able to do something about these things not the Muslims alone but the entire civilized world trembled before the savage Tatar hordes uh, their atrocities had caused a flutter even in those far off corners of the then world where the Tatars could hardly have been expected to carry their arms Edward Gibbon writes in the history of the decline and fall of the Roman Empire, the Latin world was darkened by this cloud of savage hostility. A Russian fugitive carried uh, uh, the alarm to Sweden and the remote nations of the Baltic uh, and the ocean trembled at the approach of the Tatars, whom their fear and ignorance, uh, uh, um, whom their fear and ignorance were inclined to separate from the human species. They didn't even think these people were human. The maddening frenzy uh, for death and destruction aroused by Chinggis Khan amongst the Mongols and the significance of this upsurge had been well summed up by the authors of uh, Cambridge Medieval History. Quote, unchecked by human valor, they were able to overcome the terrors of vast deserts, the barriers of mountains and seas, and the severities of climate and the ravage of famine and pestilence. No danger could appall them, no stronghold could resist them, no prayer could for mercy could move them, we are confronted with a new power uh, in history, with a force that was to bring uh, uh, to an abrupt end uh, uh, as a deus ex machina, many dramas that would otherwise have ended in a deadlock or would have dragged on uh, to an indeterminable course. Harold Lamb continues on the impact of Chinggis Khan. Uh, this new uh, power in history, the ability of one man to alter human civilization, began with Chinggis Khan and ended with his grandson Kublai uh, when the Mongol Empire uh, started to break up. It has not reappeared since. Um, and, you know, th there's, there's a lot here that... Uh, a lot here that... Uh, um, that he'll he'll describe uh, further uh, when describing the uh, uh, destruction of Baghdad, which we'll save for tomorrow. I think it's it's already it's been too much uh, for one day. Um, but uh, you know, to see the masajid you know, destroyed and the ulama killed in front of everybody and mocked before uh, the destruction, the killing of women and children. Um, these things they, they, they broke the nerve of most people and it's important to remember that there were very few people who were able to uh, do some work and keep some vision and make some plans and to you know struggle and to to try uh, to resist and uh, um, it's always a few people with whom the baraka is and always a majority of people who are completely uh, heedless and sadly, oftentimes, even the people who are empowered to uh, um, 
to do exactly that, to save people's honors, their lives, their properties. Uh, they themselves become complacent. And this complacency is something that every human being has to check their own nafs against because the capacity for it is, is really in all of us. That a person should not become lazy and happy with what they have. Uh, but they constantly have to struggle and strive to keep themselves on their toes um, and to keep themselves sharp and to always have inside of their heart that if they were ever called to render their trusts back, uh, their amanat back to Allah Ta'ala, that they, they would be willing to do so. But, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, important, it's important to remember that there were people who struggled and fought back. Uh, this is not a book of history in the kind of normal sense. And so there's a lot of detail that he passes over but uh, the last Khurazm Shah wasn't Muhammad Shah who died desolate and broken. Actually, on the eve of a great battle in which his Turkic forces were very well armed and matched uh, the Mongol forces. Um, basically, uh, right before the battle, uh, the Khurazm Shah, something, Allah Ta'ala put something in his heart. He saw something in the Mongol forces that caused him to panic and uh, lose heart. And he fled as a coward from the battlefield. And it caused his entire army to uh, break ranks and to uh, go into chaos and the Mongols destroyed them. And that army was basically the only thing that could check uh, uh, the advance of uh, the Mongol hordes from, uh, uh, from, from their homeland uh, all the way to Baghdad and beyond it. But uh, one of his sons, uh, who was not uh, a prince invested, in, uh, uh, invested with authority, uh, nor somebody who was seen as a, a, a power player in politics, um, a, 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 a very heroic figure by the name of Jalaluddin. Uh, it, he uh, would harass and uh, do guerrilla tactic, uh, tactics in order to harass the Mongol army uh, for quite some time after uh, the uh, royal army of the, uh, the imperial army of the Khurazm Shah was dispersed uh, with very few people. And uh, um, he is known as a, a kind of a symbol of bravery. He checked the advance of the Mongol army for quite some time. It was very difficult for them to deal with him. But alas, uh, uh, they overwhelmed him as well. The point is, is this. It's not that your enemies are invincible. Whoever you are, whatever you are. You know, we're not, not everyone is a warrior. Not everyone here is like fighting people or whatever. Some people are in business. Some people are in academia. Some people are you know, just trying to, you know, pass their tests at school, whatever it is. It's not that, that anybody else, don't ever look at another human being and think this person is invincible or magical or whatever. Uh, the only thing that is invincible is the help of Allah when it comes to a person. And it can come to all of us. Um, all you have to do is pick a right path and try your best and keep asking. And uh, uh, Allah Ta'ala's help comes to everybody in the Akhirah and it comes to most people seek it in this world as well. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the tawfiq in these precious couple days of Ramadan that uh, we also shake the chains of this uh, kind of fear of invincibility of the people of Batil, that there's nothing magical about being a materialist. In fact, it makes you a jerk. There's nothing magical about drinking or committing zina. In fact, it, it, it uh, causes you diseases in your liver and in your uh, private parts. Um, there's nothing magical about uh, not praying, it makes your heart hard. Uh, there's nothing magical about all of these things that, you know, uh, these kind of weird imperial forces, imperialist forces from uh, uh, the shores of China to Europe um, and, and what's in between. There's nothing magical any of them have. 
and there's a lot of soft power money put into somehow making people believe that there is and there really isn't they're human beings like we're human beings they feel pain like you feel pain but the difference between you and them is that you have hope from something from Allah Ta'ala that they don't have hope for at least until they repent they have no hope for it so whatever it is you're doing if you're just trying to you know do do a you know fundraiser in order to pay off your local neighborhood masjid or you're trying to like whatever it is big or small don't look at your enemies or your antagonists or your adversaries or the difficulties you have to face as insurmountable rather dig deep and follow the way of those people who have baraka the baraka wasn't generated by them because they were born lucky nobody's born lucky the barakah was what? Because their connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and their willingness to struggle and their willingness to be patient. That Allah ta'ala made them imams of the people of guidance bima sabaru because of their patience and their steadfastness. It's easy to say and it's very hard to do. It's soul crushing and heartbreaking to do. But the person who can do it, uh, it's not rocket science uh, to know how. And the person who can do it really is a Mubarak person. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless us with their barakah in this world and the hereafter. Wa sallallahu tabarak wa ta'ala wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Wa sallamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu.